So I just had to remember this, that if I don't finish this, then they will probably go back saying, well, they may not be able to do it too because I couldn't do it. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect, how obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 89. Today, I have another special guest, Aaron Hickman. He began his fitness journey at the age of 15, running cross-country track. It was at that time he embraced the movement of running free among his peers as a means to focus on happiness and not to worry about anything around him. After high school, he took a hiatus from running and other endurance sports. And it wasn't until eight years later when he started doing running events in Chicago. He's taken part in 10 obstacle courses, five track runs, and about 15 endurance running events. His most inspiring accomplishment, he states, is Ironman Louisville, which he completed in 2015. It was at that moment he realized the power of his mind. Through his accomplishments and tribulations, he hopes to motivate others, particularly newcomers, entering into the endurance sport by letting them know it's a long, hard journey, but the reward is well worth it. Please welcome him to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. First, we'll start with, what made you start running? And you know you started running in high school from your bio, but what made you start running? So what made me started running was I was interested in joining the men's basketball team. And one of the prerequisites to join the basketball team was to join the cross-country team. I didn't really know it until I showed up at the went to the meeting and it said, oh, the men's basketball players must go to cross, must do cross country. So I said, hey, what the heck? I'll just see what this cross country team is all about. That's where it pretty much all begun. Did you enjoy cross country? Actually, my first year doing it in ninth grade, I didn't really take it serious. I was just out there just to do it because cross country came before basketball. So I just took it as a chore just to Jump out there, do a task. They said do two miles a day, so I just lottie gag my two miles, then <laughs> just get get over with. That's it. And then uh, in between the seat, well, during the season, I learned that we actually have cross country meets where we go run around the forest preserve against other schools. And I said, wow, this is pretty cool. So I kind of got into it during the end of cross country season when I realized like this is something I can really do. Um, it's still a team sport, but it's mostly me against time versus what I do affect other people. That's interesting that they made you run cross country to play basketball. I wonder, is that just unique to your school or is that a lot of places? Uh, it was just unique to my school because my coach was, our coach at the time was more of a trying to get us into shape. He thought we were just not 
I won't say lazy, but he wanted to make sure that we were active and that we were run up and down the court <laughs> during the basketball <laughs> season. So they're trying to uh, save time with his conditioning with telling us to precondition. Okay. Mm-hmm. So did you run in college? College, I did not. And uh, that's the uh, longest lapse of my career where I did not run because my college did not have a track or a men's cross-country team. Okay. But we did have a women's uh, track and women's cross-country team, but just not men's. Okay. So did you not run at all? Or you kind of I, I did not run country? at all. I did not do nothing. Okay. <laughs> so what, what made you return to running and enjoying sports? My return was actually not to maybe a couple of years later. I was actually uh, with one of my friends. He said he was training for the uh, Rock and Roll Half Marathon that takes place in Grand Park. And I said, wow, just 13 miles? I think I could do that. And I thought to myself. So with six weeks of training, I just jumped out on a late front, ran three miles here, six miles there. I knew I was going to walk somewhat of the 13 miles when the race would have came, but I just said, well, I can do this. It's, uh looks fun. I did run again in high school. Hopefully, I still had some of that uh, mindset and some of that, that uh, conditioning. So that was pretty much my return to running that event. And that was like maybe two years after college. Okay. And you run, you said 15 endurance running events. Do you know what distances or what they are just in general? It was a mix. Um, so once after I did that 13-mile run, from there I got into Spartan races. And I did uh, Spartan races in Chicago, Ohio, even went out to Lake Tahoe for the uh, championship. After completing those Spartan races, then I started doing a few uh, Santa dashes, uh, turkey trots, mm-hmm. uh, some more uh, half uh, 5K runs around the city. So it's a, a mix of variety of races. I was just joining and signing up for things. So what got you into obstacle course races? What attracted you to that? <laughs> obstacle course racing was all about the promotion. <laughs> uh, once I saw the teaser to see when I saw some some rugged guy running through the forest, jumping over logs, diving into to this river, jumping over a fire pit, it was more so the promotion videos that I kept seeing about the Spartan races that really got me into the Spartan races. And then uh, that's how that kind of took effect on me. And I said, wow, this looks, it looks very manly, athletic. Um, this is something <laughs> so I can... you wanted to run without your shirt over long and jump over long? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I knew I could not do here in the city. And uh, here I had a structured environment where I can run without my shirt on and just be among other people. So tell me, how did you get into triathlon? Well, let's take a step back. <laughs> After the Spartan races, then I said, well, let me see what else I can do with my life. <laughs> so at that time, around 2012, I signed up for the Chicago Marathon. So I, and I, I just signed up because I wanted to, again, see if I can do it. Just 26 miles, I thought to myself, I can walk that <laughs> 26 miles. So I signed up for that, completed that, and I said, okay, let me do another Chicago sport. Let me do the Chicago try. And uh, that's when uh, next year, 2013, is when I signed up for Chicago try because I wanted to do everything in our Chicago. In preparation for Chicago try, again, my, my mindset was 
he just swam a mile, bike 20 ish miles, and run, walk six miles. So I said to myself, that can't be that, that hard. So one of my co-workers at the time, he was training for the Chicago Try. So me and him was kind of a training together, but he had a, a coach, more of a, a structured plan. Mine were more ad hoc with the structured planning because I went into it more as to if I could run, then of course I can swim and cycle. If not, then I can just doggy pedal and just cruise on a bike, just get to the run. Okay, that's what I knew how to do was run. It wasn't until a week before the race when I actually had a sit down conversation with my coworker who was prepping for it. When he told me about his whole race layout as to what his plan was going to be for the race, and, and and I started thinking to myself like, my race plan was nothing how you <laughs> envision yours or laid yours out as far as your your nutrition, as far as your gear, as far as your bike. Mine was just hey, I got me a bike. I bought from the store for like 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to change a tire, but I got an extra tube with me and I have a, some shorts in the shirt <laughs> I was going to wear. That was my whole mentality out there. <laughs> That's my race plan. So uh, it was a, a complete wake, mind awakening experience out there. Because uh, I would say, well, the day of the race came, we all lined up to call my wave. I'm the only person in my wave without a wetsuit on. Okay. <laughs> <Just call it. laughs> I had on this uh, shirt. I had on like a tank top shirt and some uh, shorts. <laughs> okay. What was the water temp? Do you remember? Water temp was like maybe in the 60s, high 60s, 65. It wasn't It wasn't cold at all. That's cold to me for my wetsuit, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but at the time, it was like, yeah, uh, it was like over 2,000 athletes, my wave had roughly 100 people. And I'm just standing around like, wow, everybody got a wetsuit on but me. What do they know that I don't know? <laughs> Finally, it's time to jump in the water. And uh, leading up to that, I remember I was talking to somebody, a random person out there, and she said, oh, the water's not that deep. You can stand in the water. Because we just had the uh, super sprint uh, yesterday. All the people were standing in the water. And that kind of gave me some reassurance that Oh, okay. I'll just jump in the water and I'll just swim, walk, swim and walk. Okay, okay. <laughs> Doggy pedal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she completely set me off. Uh, once it was time for the in water start, <laughs> I jumped in. Once my feet hit the water, I went all the way to the, the ground and I just had a panic. Once I jumped in, people were jumping in right behind me, almost on top of me. So I had to swim out the way. Then I had to like doggy pedal my way back to the uh, ladder. And I held on to it for the, the, the 30 seconds before they blew the gun before my wave started. So uh, finally, once that gun blew, all 100 people took off. And I let I gave them a good five seconds uh, head start because I didn't want to swim with them. I wanted to swim behind them. I mustered all my strength and I started swimming. At least I thought I was swimming. So at first I did uh, 10 strokes out. Then I did some doggy pedal. And then I turned onto my back and I started doing a back swim. And all of this was within the first 50 meters of the start, the starting line. So then I turned back onto my stomach and I, again, started to, at least I thought I was swimming. And then as I was swimming, I felt somebody touch my leg. And it kind of freaked me out because I knew I was the last person in my wave 
Who's touching my leg? And I realized that's the next way behind me swimming over me. <laughs> so I had a little panic attack there. I kind of had to fight some people off me. So that lasted for like maybe 60 seconds. Then once they got off me, I, I just begun my doggy swim and bat pedaling. I, I, I did like six strokes within 100 yards of that uh, swim start. And then finally, I felt something hit my head. I was like, man, who is about to swim over me? And I looked up. Um, I was still very close to the wall. I looked up. It was like a red buoy right in front of me. And I was like, start telling me to get out the water. <laughs> so they were pulling me out the water because I was struggling. It didn't feel like I was struggling, but I was definitely uh, struggling. So they pulled you? They pulled me, yeah. Uh, they, they, yeah, they pulled me out the water. <laughs> then the first 150 yards of the swim. Okay. So I, I pretty much uh, got pulled over to the ladder. I jumped out the ladder. And then uh, it was me and this other lady. Uh, she got up before me, and uh, she was crying, saying, oh, I, I, I want to keep going. And then the volunteer saying, no, you, got, you can't keep going. We need your ankle bracelet. So I said, you're not taking my ankle bracelet. So I, I darted out in the crowd <laughs> before she could take my ankle bracelet. And I ran all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> all the way to the, the swim exit uh-huh. and hid among the uh, people. <laughs> so okay. I knew she wasn't going to find me because I have a wetsuit on. I just had my, my, my short and t-shirt. <laughs> so. so what happened? You, you didn't finish your swim. Did you go try the bike? So at this point, I started thinking like a true con person. <laughs> so I knew I could not just go into the run transition because it would have registered that I swam in like 20, 10 minutes. <laughs> and I didn't want that. So and I, then I looked at my swim cap and I said, okay, let me wait till some of my swim cap colors get out the water and I was running with them. Mm-hmm. So I stood at the very end of the swim transition. It took like maybe 20 minutes and I saw the first person get out. So I said, okay, I don't want to be this first person out the water. <laughs> so I'll give it like somewhere in the middle, within the first 20%, but like almost in the middle. I waited till I saw a good pack of moth swim cap people got out the water. And that took like 20 minutes of me waiting, maybe 18, and I started seeing most of my swim cap. So I kind of blended in with them onto the carpet, and I started jogging in with them to the bike transition. <laughs> So it registered as me finishing this swim. Oh, really? Okay. I I, uh, I get to my bike and I look at my toe and I'm like, man, why is my toe bleeding? And then I realized when I was getting out the water, I scraped my toe against one of the muscles against the side of the wall and it sliced my toe because my, my toe was just bleeding real bad. So I found a volunteer. I had, nobody really had no band-aids at that point. So I just had, I took some tissue and I wrapped it around my toe and uh, I just kept on moving. So I just took my good old trusty bike. I had some uh, some cycling shorts, thankfully. So I put those on, put on my swim, uh, my, uh, my biking gear. And I just jumped out there to start cycling. And uh, this was one of the first real bike biking events or times that I have truly biked among people. <laughs> So this gave me a good idea as to how horrible my biking uh, skills were. I thought I was going fast. I was doing like 14 miles per an hour the entire way. And this is when you had to do two laps on Lakeshore Drive. 
Okay. Uh, there was two laps at that time. So I did the first lap, and I was like, man, I'm tired. I'm doing like 14 miles per hour. My legs are killing me. My my quads are sore. I just stayed on with it. I'm thirsty. There's no water boy out here. I ain't having no water bottles <laughs> or nothing. <laughs> so, so the second lap comes, I just mostly just cruise my second lap. Say, okay, I'm just going to cruise it. Again, I'm getting passed up by everybody doing my 14 miles per hour. <laughs> I finished the bike, and it, it was a horrible time, very, very horrible. But I, I finished it. <laughs> so I, I, I get back to transition, take off my shoe, and my toe is, is again, just killing me. It's just sore. So I look at the tissue, and the tissue is just all soaked in blood because my, my toe is still bleeding from, mm-hmm. from being cut inside the water. So I just, I just say, okay, just suck it up. Now it's time to run. It's something I can do. It's just six miles. I can go six miles. So I put on my, my running gear, put on my running shoes, and I, just, and I just got out transition real fast. For the first mile, I'm just sprinting as hard as I can. Come the second mile, I slow down. But my chest started hurting because I, I went out too fast. <laughs> I had a mindset that I got to make up time from uh, the bike. So I got to like now 2.5. At that time, my foot just started irritating me and my chest was pounding. I just slowed down and I just stopped and said, this is tough. <laughs> so I just stopped. <laughs> so how many miles had you um, done? I was almost like 2.2 miles, 2.1. I was not yet at the aquarium. I was almost at the quarry. I was still along that long strip, about two miles. So I just said, I, I, I just got to call this quits because, uh, yeah, it's not really a true victory to finish because I never finished the swim. And that's pretty much what got me into uh, the try. That was 2013. How do you progress from that first Olympic experience to Ironman? So uh, from there, I went. I, I went back out in 2013. I ended up taking some. The day, the next day, um, I ended up signing myself up, signing myself up for swim classes. Got me a swim instructor, took swim classes, and then as soon as the registration opened up, I, I signed up for this. I was trial for 2014, and then uh, from there, 2014, I finished the race um, in like three hours in. 40-ish minutes, I finished. I swam, bike, and uh, run. Everything, I, I was ready. I had the, the gear. I was, I was ready for it. So I said, wow, this is uh, amazing. I finished this. Just imagine how much more I can do if I truly train harder for this. Again, I was looking at YouTube, and I saw promotions for the Ironman. And I said, wow, this looks like something, something I can do. <laughs> so I just went ahead and signed up for the Ironman. Which one was your first one? Did you a month later. I waited until after I got done to try to try, like around 2014. And I tried to sign up for Wisconsin for 2015. However, Wisconsin sold out within 24, 48 hours before I could sign up for it. I wanted to sign up for it only because it was close. I knew nothing else about the race besides it being two hours and three hours from, from where I live. So what ended up being your first race? It was Louisville. Louisville was the next closest race that was not sold out. So I signed up for that one. Again, knowing nothing about the course, nothing about anything else. I just knew it was close. In season five, we will continue the segment 
as the dog. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal health, please email me, send me a message via social media, or click on my website and leave an audio message. Select messages will be answered on the segment. Tell me about your experience from your first time. Uh, Louisville was... Uh, what year was this? 2015? 2015, Louisville. Um, it was... I had the mentality of doing a try. I had the mentality of how to do a try, and I did my research. Only thing that kind of caught me off guard with Louisville was the hills. Uh, it was very hilly, and uh, doing training in Chicago, it's, you can't find the hills nowhere. Unless you go out to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. I did my research about the swim. I did my research about the run. So I was ready for that. So leading up to the race, I was self-training. So I, I didn't have a swim coach. I was just training on my own, doing some groups. That's when I started meeting other people. And I started working out with them. Just doing a few swims with them, doing some uh, training rides with them. So I was more focused because I had more of an accountability group for the 2015 Louisville. Now, the day of the race, I remember people telling, telling us that the swim is self-seated. So uh, we got to get there early. And the swim started at 7 o'clock. I woke up around 3 a.m. And I was in line for the swim start by like 3.30 a.m. So I was there almost four, just Were about four hours. Yes. I was one of the first. Well, when I got there, there was like almost... About 50 people already ready there. So once the race started at 7, I was in the water by 7.15. So you seated yourself really fast. Were you a great swimmer by then? No, no, I was not. I, I was not a great swimmer. So did you get swam over in Louisville? Uh, no, no, because I, I, I did my research when it came to the swim. And I, the great thing about Louisville is it's about well, 100 yards upstream, then the rest, 3,000 is downstream. So the first 1,000 meters or 1,000 yards upstream was when I knew I had to at least fight the current and be prepared for anything. Uh, but when it was time for downstream, I was just I was just cruising. I was told to swim out into the middle of the water and let the current push you down. And that's what I did. I just swam out away from the buoys, maybe a good 50 meters outside the buoys into the middle of the current and let the current push me down. And that truly helped me. I use less energy, and I just had to just swim. So you've done Louisville. What other races have you done? I've done Louisville 2015, and then 2017 was when I said, okay, I did Louisville without a coach. Let's see what I can do with the coach. And that's when I signed up to uh, be with Infinity Multisport to uh, join that coaching program for Wisconsin. For 2017, and I finished Wisconsin, thankfully through proper training. And then from there, there was a long hiatus with me uh, not doing nothing. When did you? So you did Louisville, Wisconsin. When did you do your other races? The next one I did was in 2021. That's when I signed up for Muncie. And Muncie was a, a rude awakening because uh, it's been five years out the game. I approached it with my beginner's mentality saying, I did this before, I can do it again. And what really messed me up was I have not swam 
as you know, you swim like four thousand yards in a race, and uh, the longest I swam leading up to the race was maybe fifteen hundred yards leading up to the race. So my swim conditioning was just not there for the race. I was going to rely on the wetsuit to keep me above the water from buoyancy. And I was going to rely on just moving forward, just kicking and stretching my arms out to at least propel myself forward. I knew it was not going to be the best time, but I knew I would finish. Because also that year, I was doing very heavy cycling. So I was cycling like crazy, 50 miles here, 70 miles there. So I knew my cycling was there. But that swim just, it, it just jacked me up. I used so much energy. It took me, I had 20 minutes cushion to finish the swim, but it took me almost two hours to finish the swim. And I was just so exhausted that I, I really needed to actually sit down and catch my breath, eat something. But I, I had to keep going. It was one of those times, once I got out the water, I looked around, everybody's bikes are gone except mine. So I said, wow. Yes, I was slow, but I knew I, I was cycling hard that year, so I, I could catch them. Mm-hmm. So once I jumped on a bike, my legs were just like rubber. I just couldn't find my power. I couldn't find my speed. The first five miles was just tough for my legs because they were still warming up. Uh, but I knew eventually, eventually they will warm up, so I gave them to like mile 15. And around mile 15, mile 18, that's when I really started gathering my my leg strength, my power, and I was able to actually give myself some speed there. Still, by that time, I was just far, far malnutrition, just not have enough calories. So I started uh, eating stuff, drinking stuff. I, I probably doubt all my nutrition within the first 60 miles, tr- just trying to play catch up with stuff. So uh, in that race, I finished the bike portion with like maybe 20 minutes to go before the cutoff time. And I jumped over to the, the run. And as I tell people, I, I never run a marathon. I always power walk it. And I was just moving along with power walking. Um, it wasn't until I got to like mile 13 was when I started feeling a twitch in my calf. And from experience, I knew what that meant. It meant that I was about to seize up and start cramping. But I figured since it was just occurring at mile 13, I hadn't like mile 19, 20-ish before it actually seized up. And at that time, I can just kind of just muscle my way through. Um, but in this case, um, it didn't work like that. And I knew it was because on the bike, even though I was taking a, down a lot of nutrition, it wasn't enough. And I, I relied on the, the weather because the weather was like 60 degrees, coolness. It was just a perfect day to just ride the bike. It was just very cool. I relied on the weather to really calm me down. So I never knew how thirsty I was mm-hmm. until I started actually running. Okay. So you were behind on nutrition yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, I was right. I was behind on nutrition again. Uh, so around mile 13, 14, that's when uh, I started asking people along the course, hey, do you got some salt? They gave me some stuff. But it, it, it wasn't enough. My calf was just seasoned up and I, I just couldn't move. <laughs> so I just you were too far gone. I was too far gone. So I just laid there against, I laid there on the side of the road for at least 10 minutes. Yeah, I just sat there on the side of the road for at least 10 minutes because I just couldn't move. Every step I took just caused my uh, calf to seize. And also that was due to, on that course of Monty, it was very, it was rolling hills and it was very dark. 
So you couldn't see where the hill was. You just knew you was walking up the hill and you was walking down the hill. And it kept going up, up and down, up and down. It didn't really cease when I was going down. It was only when I was going up. So I tried to kind of walk it without bending my my leg, but it didn't work. So I just had to just call it a day because my body gave out. So from there, I kind of, uh, after that race, I said to myself, never again am I going to approach this with, uh, you know, uh, without taking these races serious. So again, I went back to the drawing board and I said, okay, let me go back to my day one of trying to learn this from the beginning. So I signed up for two races <laughs> for 2022, which were Des Moines as well as uh, Wisconsin. Uh, Des Moines was the first year. It was a first year full. So I, I didn't know what to expect for the course or for the weather or even, or even the city. As well as I signed up for Wisconsin. Because I've done Wisconsin in the past, and I knew what to expect from Wisconsin. So, uh, and that brings us to the current this year. So, how did Des Moines work out for you? I took all the mistakes I've done in the past and kind of worked on those those weaknesses for Des Moines. Mm-hmm. One of the first thing I did was uh, I tried to observe to why I want that was I not swimming as fast as I knew I could. So uh, I realized. I looked at some YouTube videos, and it was because my reach was not far enough. I had tight lats. Start signing for yoga classes to make sure my mobility and my flexibility was there. And within the first six weeks, I noticed a huge difference in my swim speed because I had a better reach uh, forward, as well as I worked on my uh, feet, make sure my feet was not holding me back because that was also slowing me down in the water. And I wanted to go into the moins without wetsuit. That was my goal for the mornings. And I knew swimming was always my weakness for all these past races. I wanted that to be my strength for the mornings. Okay. So I worked on my swimming uh, viciously over the winter break leading up to it. Um, so, so you won all those swim challenges. Yeah, I tried. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Three weeks before the mornings, uh, the water was in the 60s. Two weeks before the mornings, the weather was in the 70s. And of course, on the uh, race report, they said the average temperature in the mornings is 70 for that time of year. Mm-hmm. A week before the mornings, the weather is like 75. But the week of the mornings, the weather jumped up to 85 degrees. And also, it was, it was not just 85. It was like 80 degrees humidity. It was so humid out there that you can just stand there. And you can just feel the sweat just run off your skin. That's how humid it was. I had a plan in place, and my plan for the mornings was to uh, go out there in the water, no wetsuit, because water temperature was 75 degrees. It was like half a degree off from being wetsuit legal. So I said, I'm going to go out there with no wetsuit because I don't want to oversweat, over uh, heat. And uh, I want to make sure I can do this. And swimming wasn't a problem at that time because leading up to the race, I was swimming 3,800 yards a session, and I knew I could do the 44 with no problem. My rate, my plan for the bike was to down a bottle of water every five to eight miles. That was my plan for the bike. I wanted to overhydrate myself because I knew I would be 
sweating so bad that I would not have a good gauge on the temperature. But at least if I knew I could stay hydrated, it can at least help replenish some of that sweat I would have lost. That race went more so. The swim was, the swim was great. I PR this one. Uh, the fastest I, uh, that was ever swimming in a Ironman. And that was just that was just due to proper training. I prepared myself for the worst. I went out there with no wetsuit. I just had on my uh my shorts and I was just I was moving. I was not the one to swim over people, but I was the one to swim with people the entire way. I got to my bike and I saw bikes in the transition. And I was just excited, like wow, I've never seen this many bikes in transition. <laughs> So I said, okay, I'm doing something right. Let me stick to the plan. So I got on the bike. And the um, moist was one huge loop. That's how it was. It was like 20 miles out, 20 miles to the east, and then 20 miles. It was like maybe maybe 30 miles out. And then it was just one big square. So I get on the bike, and the first five miles I'm doing it, I'm doing like 17, 18 miles per hour. I'm doing like actually 19 miles per hour. Doing 19 miles per hour, I'm just cruising. I'm just staying with the people, and I'm just I'm moving. So that's when I started my plan with every five to eight miles. Well, I knew there was a transition every 15, 16 miles. So I carried three bottles of water, and I told myself every five to Eight miles, I'm going down at least one bottle of water. So by the time I get to the transition, I would have knocked out at least two bottles of water, and I'll just keep replenishing myself as it goes on. And that's what I stuck with for the first 40 miles. Uh, so I felt good for the first 40 miles, and then all of a sudden, around like mile 48 ish, almost 50 ish, that's when the hills came in the mornings. The first 30 miles, 35, it was flat. Like a couple of rotors, they all of a sudden you just get hit with heels, <laughs> almost to the point like uh, Wisconsin. They just came at you for, for 12 miles. And uh, it was listed at like 4,000 feet of climbing. And I, I want to say I did 2,000 feet of climbing in 15 miles. It wasn't until mile 60 after I got done with all the climbing, is when I really felt fatigued. Was uh, I wasn't cramping yet, but I felt very fatigued, and I started rethinking my strategy that I need to take in more nutrition. At this time, we just got to special needs. I replenished my bike, replenished myself, and the next A station, like around mile, it's like around mile 68 ish, around 68, almost 70 ish. And once I stopped, was when I realized how hot it truly was, and I can actually feel the heat just hitting me on my skin. It was still, it was windy, and it was just like that, that warm air just hitting you, that was just making you hotter. So I was like, man, it's hot, and I was just dripping wet. I started actually take, checking myself out how drenched I was. So I said, at this point, okay, I got to play it safe. I made it here within like three hours, 30 minutes, so let me see. I got like maybe five more hours to get done with this bike course. At that time, I was going to play it safe to finish with the goal. Because I, I did not want to cramp up. So I get to the first A station. Well, I get to the next A station A station around mile 68. And uh, that's when um, my body just starts to deteriorate. And I, I really believe it was due to the heat. At this point, I was actually stopping 
to gather my my water and Gatorade out to stop it. And I was talking to the woman, and she was saying, "Yeah, I mean, she wasn't really negative, but she wasn't really too positive as well." She was saying, uh, "Yeah, this many people have stopped here and just uh, called it quits <laughs> at this aid station." I looked around, I didn't see nobody, but I saw their bikes. <laughs> so uh, I was expecting her to give me the, the good old pep talk saying, you can do it. But she was just mostly like, if you want to stop, just let me know. You just go and sit, sit on, right over there. <laughs> we'll call somebody to come pick you up. And I said, well, she was not too positive. So <laughs> I knew I had at least a good 10, 15 more miles in me. So, so I just gathered my water and just went on to the next aid station, which was at mile 84. And at mile 84, that was, I want, I want to say, was the, the wall for everybody. Because I got there, and I was just horrible. It was just people laid out on the road. There was uh, a pair of necks already there attending somebody. There was a truck there with people sitting inside with AC. It was a lot of people that stopped at mile 85. The only reason I stopped there was because once I stopped, that's when my body seized up. That's when my stomach cramped up and my legs cramped up. So they were fine with us moving, but once I stopped was when I couldn't move, move them no more. So I, I told the uh, person, I said, just give me like five minutes. So within this five minutes, we're trying to play the entire uh, course in my head to say, okay, I got to be off the bike by this time. I got 20-ish, almost 30 miles to go. I was doing 15 miles an hour back there. Maybe if I could do 12 uh, miles an hour, mm-hmm. I was trying to just run every scenario through my head. And I, I, had, I had a plan, but my body just kept saying it, it could not do it because of, it was just crapping. I asked the guy, how far is the next A station? He said it's in 20 miles at mile 105. And at that time, I knew I cannot make it 20 miles without A station. And so at that point, I just had to stop because there was nothing in me, literally nothing physically in me to make it there. I just sucked up my pride and I knew I gave them all. So I wasn't upset. I was mostly happy because... I knew I peed hard to swim. I came out here serious as a serious contender, and uh, I, I emptied the tank. So I was pretty proud of myself, knowing that uh, it wasn't me. It wasn't mentally that I stopped. It was physically I, I, I exerted myself. So yeah, and that's all you can do some days. So tell me about your last race, Ironman Wisconsin. You've done it before. This year was something else because I was there as a spectator and volunteer. Tell me about the conditions and what you went through that day to make it to the finish line. That day was like a, a monsoon. <laughs> it was just a monsoon. It, it was raining and it was cold and it was windy. <laughs> you put all three of them together, you just say to, my, say to yourself, I'm not doing this. That's what you thought the day of before you got out there? I, that's what I thought the day of. Because <laughs> uh, Saturday they had start seventy point three. They had perfect conditions, sunny skies, no wind. It was just perfect conditions with them. It wasn't until five p.m. hit was when the first drizzle came down. Because I looked at the weather report and I said, uh, "Oh, it's just a few showers. It'll pass by." 
And uh, of course, telling somebody who they might want to say, <laughs> said, oh, it'll pass over, uh, pass over us before the race starts. And I took it for his word because uh, he's, he's pretty reliable when it comes to weather reports. <laughs> so, so he said, if it'll pass, it'll pass. I mean, expect the worst, but hope for the best. So that's what's his approach. So again, the whole day for Saturday, it was 70 degrees. But then around, I got back to my hotel like around 6 p.m. And it was drizzling just a little. But it did not start raining until like 9 p.m. And uh, as you know, around 9 p.m., that's when everybody get it, gets into the bed and kind of just force themselves to sleep. So I jumped into bed, looked at the weather report one last time. The radar said the storm was right over us. It's a chance they could just pass by. It's a chance. So I just went to bed. I woke up because, you know, my mind was a little active. 11 p.m., I, I woke up out of bed, looked at the, looked outside, and I saw it was raining. <laughs> I looked at the weather report. It, the weather dro- dropped down from 70 to 65-ish. I said, that's not too bad. <laughs> I could do that. So I said, okay, well, just a little drizzle. It wasn't raining hard, but it was raining. And I couldn't really gauge how hard it was raining from my hotel window. So I went back to bed. Woke back up at 3 a.m. Woke back up. And it's still raining. Looked at the weather report. The weather dropped down slightly 59 degrees. And I said, okay, at this point, this is making me nervous <laughs> here. I, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to uh, jump into a cold lake. I don't want to ride my bike in those under 60 degrees in the rain. So uh, I went down to the lobby to actually gauge how hard it was raining, what was the temperature. Once I stepped out that door, I was hit with the, this whirlwind of wind. It just hit me right in the face. <laughs> it was windy out there. And it was raining. <laughs> and it was cold. So I stood there for about a good 10 seconds. And I said, nope, I'm done. I'm not doing this. And I felt more prideful to not to take a, a, a DNS, a do not start, versus a DNF, a do not finish. Because like I say, the conditions were just horrible. What Iron Man uh, director will put us in this here, a uh, bad wind and bad rain and possible lightning, roads too slippery. I, I just had a, a list of reasons why we should not do this race. I, I just have a list. So I started to text my partner at the time around 4 a.m. saying, hey, uh, I'm not feeling well. I was going to text him something along the lines of, I'm not feeling well. I had some food poisoning. Uh, I don't think I can do the race. I didn't want to say because of weather, but I was trying to find some way to say I can't do the race. <laughs> And then I said, well, maybe, maybe if I just oversleep and just not answer his calls. I knew, I knew he was going to call me in the morning if I don't show up. <laughs> so I was going to try to find every reason not to show up to that start line. And all this is going through my head around 4 a.m. when I was standing, standing outside the uh, hotel. While I was out there, I was actually talking to another athlete. And uh, she flew in from Toronto, Canada. And uh, I asked her, like, are you going to still do the race? And she felt my sentiment about the conditions, but her response was, I, I, she got to do the race because she flew in from Toronto, so it's not, no, I fly in, it's raining, I fly back home, it's I fly in, I got to get my money's worth, 
That's a nice bill just to not lease a tub. So you decided to go through the race. Tell me about this swim start. <laughs> oh, well, walking up to the swim start was a challenge. <laughs> From the hotel to the swim start, it was raining. I'm just drenched. I'm carrying my, my bags, wearing my clothes. My clothes are just soaking wet. Take off my clothes into my wetsuit. I feel the wind. It's like 6.30. I see all these athletes out here. I started thinking that they're all crazy, that why, why are they here? One thing I know from the Chicago try, I knew if the light boats cannot sit out there safely at one spot without getting thrown around, they'll cancel that swim. I knew that for a fact. So I was preparing to see those lifeboats out there that's just bouncing around. Then I also knew that if the lifeboats are not on the entire course, that they shorten the swim. I had that whole mindset. I had different scenarios that this swim course will either be shortened or it will be no swim start. I, I had it all planned out. <laughs> Nowhere did I believe that they were going to have us do the entire swim course. I did not believe that. We out there lined up. Then finally it dawned onto me as I'm standing there that we gotta do this entire swim course, the entire <laughs> 2.4 miles. So I said to my stuff, this this water better not be uh cold. It, it better not. If it's cold, I'm doing one lap and I'm getting out. The water was 71 degrees. I heard that was the lowest part of the day. It was, it was 71 degrees. Once you jump into that water. It felt great. It was not as murky as you would expect. You could still see see around you. You could see sight. It was choppy. It was very, very indeed choppy. Was it bare, a lot of choppy or just a swell? It was. No, it was no swells. It was, it was choppy. It was choppy. Was it worse the second loop or the first? The uh, second loop was calmer because there were less people uh, around me. The first one was bad because there was people fighting for a position. And then also, uh, what kind of made it crazy was your body is inside the water, but your back is kind of exposed. So I can feel the cold air on my back and on my neck, but the rest of my body is just all warm. It just felt it felt great. That water felt so great. It was a great swim. Also, I knew that the wind was high, so there's going to be a fight coming back the opposite direction to go against the current. But it wasn't really as bad as I thought it would be. So did you have a goal in mind as far as this one? For that one, my plan was to at least finish in, um, well, my, my goal has always been 90 minutes, one hour and 30 minutes. In this one here, I finished in one hour and 46 minutes. I did an extra 150 yards. So I did like a 45, 50, which translates to me swimming actually two, two minutes and 17 seconds. So, uh, but that was... Uh, expect because I again my swim style is to stay away from the buoys because I don't want to get swimming over. Yeah, so I swim the extra hundred hundred meters, which added a good five six more minutes into my time than I would have finished before. So to come the second lap, I was out there and I said, uh, "Okay, I'm swimming." I didn't really know my time. I knew I was slower than the Moines, but I didn't know how much slower I was. So my thought was, okay, I'm going to find some way to, I was swimming too fast to miss the cutoff time. So I was trying to think of some type of injury scenario that I can play into after I get into the water. Like rather me step on a, a rock and trip 
or rather me getting bit by a fish. All this stuff is going through my head within the last hundred, maybe 500 yards before I finish the swim. I was trying to think of everything possible for them to say you must quit and not for me to say I quit. I was trying to think of everything possible. So, But none of that happened. You finished the swim. When you came out. Right, right. Nothing happened. I, I was wishing all this bad stuff upon me. Nothing happened. <laughs> so I just sucked it up. I got out the water. Again, once you get out the water, you just get hit by this cold air of like 58 degrees. Did it make you run faster? Or back to, uh, no, 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 it didn't. It, it did not because uh, I was still working off of the adrenaline. So I still was, uh, it was bad, but also the building was kind of blocking the wind. So I felt the air temperature, but I didn't feel how bad the, the wind was at that time. So at that point, I run up to the uh, the Terrence into the changing room, and I see everybody's in there just talking about how bad the swim was, how well, how great the swim was, how warm the water was. And I was like, yeah, it was pretty good. So at this time, I'm saying people change into like all types of cold gear. Uh, one guy, he was suited down from top he had the gloves he had the boot shoes he had the vest the uh long sleeve uh short shirt he was just suited up to the teeth it spoke in cold gear me i came prepared because uh i knew that it was going to be a uh, cold leading up to the race so i came with my thermos i came prepared with my thermos and i saw i bought i bought my uh, full cover helmet that covered my entire head with no holes in because i didn't want no I, I did not want my head to be exposed. So I brought the correct helmet. I brought the correct gear. I was ready for the cold. Okay, so you had um, the cycling thermals? Yes. Did you do anything different with your nutrition? Nutrition, I did a lot of stuff different. Like as far as the rain, did you do something different? As far as I know some people had a whole bunch of layers and they couldn't get to some of their nutrition if they eat, if you eat or whatever, as far as pockets and stuff? No, I didn't have that issue. What did you do for nutrition in Wisconsin? I did one bottle of water, one bottle of power ISO, and one bottle of uh, scratch, the uh, super carb scratch. So you do you eat it all, or do you do all the? Yes, I had a uh, three gel blocks with me, and my plan was to take one gel block every fifteen miles. So between the three uh, liquid nutritions and the three gel blocks, as well as I had a uh, salt tablets, I was going to do one salt tablet every hour. So that was the plan for the first 56 miles, and I'll repeat that for the last 56 miles. Well, tell me about the conditions, because Wisconsin is taking some challenging with hills and turns, and it's, I'm sure, a lot more with the rain and other people who may not have great handling skills. The bike course is very technical. Leading up to the race, I went out to cycle the course two times, and this was the first time of me cycling the course since 2017. So I knew the course, but I forgot how the course felt. So the first time I was out there in training ride, a wake-up call because I remembered I can't take this course lightly. The second time I came out there was when I was ready and I did the course. I had the proper nutrition with me, and I felt great uh, doing the course. And I can I knew I could only do better from that second time. So I, I knew exactly where the heels were. I had it all timed out with an A station were. I had everything mapped out in my head the entire course, how long each section were. So I knew, for example, I needed, I should be off that stick within from starting the bike ride to making it to the loop. That's like 12 to 13 miles. I should be done with that within like 45 minutes. I knew I could do one loop within 
less than three hours. I had everything just planned out in my head as to what I what I can do. But of course, not everything goes as planned. <laughs> so once I I changed to my cycling gear, this is when I knew things were going to be tough. So again, I'm running running in my head all types of scenarios of me getting pulled from this race. So I'm just thinking to myself, like, what can I do to not finish this race? Rather having somebody crash into me, because I, I didn't want to crash to somebody. I wanted, I wanted somebody to crash to me. <laughs> no, you don't want that either. I didn't want a fat tire. I wanted, like, my chain to just break off. I wanted something very severe to say. So when I told the story, it was, it was beyond me. That didn't happen. How did you get the wheel to kind of, like, kick it in gear to make the cutoff time? I'm out there cycling, and I knew something was going to be bad. Within the first 10 miles, I looked, the first 10 miles, right before the stick ends, I see a white van. I was like, oh, I thought to myself, that's an interesting spot for volunteers to be, mm-hmm. just in a white van within the first nine miles. This <laughs> is So then I look, and I see, okay, there's a bike there. Maybe that's somebody that they know that's helping them out, like the mechanic vehicle. That's what I kind of thought within the first nine miles. Now, think about, like, you know, that van got seats in it. I think that person is sitting inside the van, picking up people within the first, first nine, ten miles of the race. So I said, no, I can't be it. So I just kept on moving along. <laughs> so at this time, I realized it's cold out there. It's cold. I'm cold. I'm wet. It's windy. So I just, I said, if anything, I'm not going to race this course. I know the course. I know what to expect. I'm just going to small cruise control and just start cycling as if it's a training ride and just whatever happens happens mm-hmm. so you didn't kick it into high gear and be like mm, i got so many minutes left i never kicked into to high gear the entire okay, course okay. i never never did I, it was just me saying okay let's heal let me just climb this hill <laughs> down here i go okay so when you made it back did you know that you were close to the cutoff i did not i knew there was a cutoff time for the second loop start the second loop it was like 1.30. When we came back into town, I saw the clock on the bank and it said 1.15. So I knew I had made the cutoff by 15 minutes to start the second loop. Once I started the second loop, I thought I had my entire 10 hours, 30 minutes. And if I did the math correctly, I had I had about four hours and 20 minutes to do the second loop because I had so much time built up, built in from the swim. I did not know that there was a hard cutoff for the bike. Uh, regardless of what time you got into the water, started the bike. You made it by how many minutes? I made it by seven minutes. I made it by seven minutes. And uh, I mean, I did not know because uh, I kind of self-sabotaged myself the second time because uh, when I saw you guys the first time, I was just like, hey, I'm just out here riding. It's, it is what it is. The second time I saw you, I said, oh, there's Mo. Let me pull over and hop in the car with you. <laughs> <laughs> so then I started, I started to say it. But Mo kept saying, uh, "No, you're doing 11 minutes uh, an hour. You need to do 15, make the cutoff time." So I said, uh, "Well, let me just hop in with you." But then I said, uh, "What did Mo say?" I don't know what he said. Something <laughs> smart. <laughs> so, but I said, "Forget it." So, but also I knew that there was a a A station at the next stop like within 10 miles i thought to myself if 
you all picking me up, then I have to hop in this bus that I knew was up the next A station. That there was a big well, yellow bus. Well, there was bus. actually a sweeper van not too far, far behind all of y'all that we saw. So. Oh, oh, really? Well, if if I've known that, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> if only I've known that. Pretty much, I made it to that yellow bus, and I saw a long line of bikes. It was like almost 20 miles. And I looked in the bus, and it was like, they had no room for me. <laughs> so it's like... What do I do? <laughs> I thought to myself, I thought back to, what actually made me kept going was I thought back to Des Moines. It's too cold for me to just stand here and wait for the next van to come pick me up. And my best interest to just keep on cycling. Because at least at that point, I'm moving and I'm doing something. Because I cannot stand here and just wait for somebody to pick me up. So you like, I have to keep moving. So when you made it back to the transition, what went through your head as well? Like, I'm, I just made the cutoff. I got this marathon to run. It was still raining. I think it was raining worse than it was before in the morning. Like, what went through your head? Uh, at, at that point, I, I just, well, I made the bike cut off by seven minutes. I'm hearing people yell, saying, go faster, go faster, because I got I got to the uh, the Helix. And once I got to the Helix, I said, screw this. I'm not riding up this Helix. I started, I walked the Helix all the way up. <laughs> And I started hearing people yell, saying, hurry up, go faster, go faster. And I was like, what you mean? I got like 20 minutes left to my time. And then once I passed the line at the top of the helix, that's when they said, you got, you had seven minutes left remaining off the bike cut off. I was like, oh, I thought I had 20 minutes. And uh, what was crazy was there was a guy that got a flat five miles out. And I almost stopped to help, help him because he looked like he needed help. And uh, at this point, I kind of say to myself, I can use him as an excuse as to why I missed the cutoff. Because <laughs> I was just, I was just really stuck on me just missing the bike cutoff. So I was going to actually use him as an excuse <laughs> as to why I missed it. So I made, I made the bike, bike cutoff. I get into transition. And uh, that's when the guy, after like being inside transition for like 90 seconds, a guy comes in and says, okay, y'all got five minutes. To start the run start. Well, you got five minutes to be out of transition and to be on the run before the run start closes. So I said, uh, screw this. I mean, I, I made it this far. I might as well see how far I can go. <laughs> I mean, the run can't be no worse than the bike ride. So what I did was I stripped everything off. I just grabbed the run stuff out of my bag and I just ran outside, ran outside past the run start without my shoes on. Once the guy said, okay, you made it. At that time, I just sat there across the run start line and that's when i finished putting my stuff on my shoes and my beard and i said okay let's see what this run is talking about <laughs> so how was the run as far as it wasn't warm well you don't have to really worry about cramping unless you were behind on your nutrition but it was raining did you get blisters your feet soaked no my feet didn't soak they get blisters i had no nutritional issues throughout the entire run was it really dark on the course? Did you have to have a headlight? Only in the, the far back portion of the near the campus when you run along the lake in the far back, like around mile 10-ish, I think around like 10 or 22. Um, only that part was where you needed a uh, light at. And the crazy thing was when you're back there along the uh, site near the dormitories along the lake, when you're running, you can actually feel the warm air coming off the lake blowing up to you along the uh, trail. So I, I can just feel the warm air from the water. Well, I can feel the warmth from the water just hitting me as I'm running on the trail. But yeah, I got this cold air just 
blast me in the face uh, with the rain. So the rain didn't bother me when I was running, none at all. So what crossed your mind when you made the cutoff and made it to the finish line? Well, what made the cutoff was when I was on the run, I never thought I was going to finish the run. Only because, again, I was still playing the victim, trying to self-sabotage myself. It wasn't again until like now 13 or 14 when I said, what if I just try? Because I, I, I kept making checkpoints. I did. I don't know how. I don't know what did it. But I kept making these checkpoints, even though mentally I kept saying, don't make the checkpoint. My body just knew to keep going. <laughs> When I got to like mile 14, 15, that's when I said, let me just try and see what I can do. I don't run on the marathons, as I say. I kind of do like a fast power walk. And I was power walking at 13 miles, uh, 13 mile even pace. I was doing the math once again in my head, saying I got three hours and 30 minutes to finish this last 14 miles. I can do this within three hours if I just try. And uh, that's when I just really just changed my mindset and said, let me just go out and just do this. Yeah. <laughs> As I started thinking back to how far, when I was on, a, on that second loop of the run course is when I started thinking about how I said I was not going to do this from 7 p.m. the night before to 7 a.m. And here I am at 9 p.m., almost 24 hours later, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm exceeding at it far beyond my uh, expectations. So I question you saying you do power walk. It was it hard to get as guess power walking at a pace like a thirteen. I've tried to power walk, but my power walk I can't power walk fast. I guess it comes with time. I'm just I, I'm just asking because some people power walk and they be lapping me trying to run. It's like some of these races I've been on and I see power walkers out there. Yes, uh huh. Pretty much I got into power walking because uh, when I did did Louisville. I was I went into Louisville trying to run it and didn't work well transitioning from bike to run to mm-hmm. suck. Around 2016, that's when we had the Olympic Games and they had the Olympic power walking. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was introduced to it and said, wow, these people are power walking at some nine minute per pace doing 40 miles. What is it? And then being I learned it just <laughs> I kind of learned that uh it's all about tall people. If you're tall, big steps. <laughs> The big stuff that's too tall. I can't practice this over the course of years. It's nothing that I wouldn't say I go out there purposely and say, okay, I'm a power walk, but it's mostly, let's say, I run five miles out. Well, let's say I run like eight miles out, then I'll be tired. So I say, okay, I'm a power walk all the way back. So that's how I come into it. Part of my podcast is to feature guests who overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. Can you tell me about an obstacle, whether, I mean, you talked about this race for one being an obstacle, but an obstacle, whether it be running, triathlon related, or just in life that you had to overcome? Well, I would say this is the obstacle because uh, my obstacle was my mindset throughout this entire race. And it's not really like me to be all negative throughout the entire course, but I was negative. A lot of thoughts went through my head. Uh, I was praying out there. I was saying I shouldn't be out here. Why am I doing this? It wasn't until it hit me like around like mile on the run course when I actually asked myself, why am I here? Why did I sign up for this? And I just thought back to that first try. I was try. What made me go out the second time? Why did I start this race? So at that point, it kind of clicked to say, the moment I remember why I started this, 
is when everything just made sense to me. And uh, at that time, I remember when I did the first marathon, even a marathon, some people are doing a marathon. They said, wow, that's a lot. I wish I could even run five miles. And I said, well, you can just try. And then I remember, of course, when I did Louisville, people said, uh, wow, you did Louisville. I wish I could do that. And I said, well, that's my first time, man. I didn't really have an endurance background to a high extent, so you can do it too. So uh, once I remember about all the sacrifices I gave up as far as uh, missing family events, missing out on sleep, uh, work hours, missing out on job potentials, missing out on just obligations with the family, time that committed to just lead up to this one day, uh, it just made me remember that I'm out here for a purpose and people is actually watching me on the computer trying to make sure I'm, I'm doing well. So I just had to remember this, that if I don't finish this, then I won't. They will probably go back to saying, well, they may not be able to do it too because I couldn't do it. And I came back from a, just a little bit more of an endurance background. And now, so I wanted to at least give them, give people that mindset that if I can do it, they can do it too. Even though my conditions were tough, you can do it too. So I just had to remember, go back to the basics, just to remember why I'm out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it took 20 hours for me to remember that. But once it came, it was a done deal. The crazy thing about Wisconsin was I made a cutoff by five minutes. And uh, I purposely slowed down around mile 24. Cause that's when I started texting everybody saying, <laughs> Hey, I'm about to I'm about to finish this race. I always carry my phone with me on the bike ride in case my bike broke down. I call somebody and say, "Hey, I need a, a spare bike or whatever." So it wasn't until like mile 24 when I actually pulled out the Ironman app to see like, let me see exactly how well I have done throughout the entire day. And it said I was estimated to finish within like 40 minutes. Then like 16 hours in, 20 minutes at mile tw- around mile 24 with two miles to go. So I said, wow, this is a, a, a huge feat. How did I do this with the mindset I had just being so, so negative? That time was when I actually slowed down to just reflect on the power of my mind, mm-hmm. um, as well as the power of my physical body. And I would say mostly that's what got me through there. The mind and body work as one. It's like when one fails, the other one tried to take over. And uh, when the other one failed, the other one tried to take over. In this case, they both didn't fail. I, I was truly out there in deep thought. I thought back, okay, and Louisville, my mind and body never failed. In Des Moines, my body failed, but my mind didn't fail. And Muncie, my body failed, but my mind didn't fail. But here in Wisconsin, my mind failed, but my body didn't. So my body just kept on moving because my body knew the course. And then your mind finally caught up with your body, basically. <laughs> <laughs> my body knew <laughs> my body knew exactly how bad the exertion would be as far as the heels. My body knew exactly where everything was on the course because I've done it of course before. It's just my mind just kept being told that because of this new variable, that it's gonna be worse than what it was. But my body said, Hey, let's let's just keep on, keep on moving, keep on moving. <laughs> so once I took the time to reflect on that, and I thought about, wow, I mean, the mind is powerful, but the body is just as powerful. 
when the body is prepared for it. This made me think, like, I wonder how this will work out if my body and my mind is as one. And uh, at that time, around mile 24 is when it's kind of, it kind of synced up around like mile 15. But at mile 24 is when I kind of realized that I can finish at a, so I wasn't tired the entire time. I, I would say that I was never tired. I was like, exhausted that I can truly run. I could have, I could have ran it. I could have went harder. The swim, I could not have went faster. I know that for sure. <laughs> but a bike ride, I could have went faster. For sure, I, I know I could have. Uh, to run, I could have ran the course. I know that for sure, but I did not because my mind told me don't do it. So my body was just saying, okay, let me just keep on moving. So we're coming up on like 25.5 miles. And uh, there's a thing with the Iron Man, you don't want to photobomb somebody. And there was an older lady ahead of me by like 100 yards. So I kind of wanted to give her space. Because I didn't want to photobomb her. <laughs> I didn't want to show up in her video. So, uh, so I kind of like the last five minutes of my race, I kind of just walked again because I wanted to kind of give her separation and me separation. I kind of purposely finished around that time. But again, I, I thought I had a little bit of time. I, I knew I was cutting it close. Okay. If uh, an adult Aries would go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? It will be to uh, always remember with proper preparation comes some great results. Because it's going back to Chicago Tri with I had his poor training, and I, I really thought I could just muscle my way through, but I didn't. So it just comes back to just never overestimate things, and uh, I always respect the distance. Regardless of what it is, if it's one mile or 100, just always respect it. Because as a first timer, my first uh, reality check was when I got passed up by somebody that was bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, they're just going out too hard. I'll catch them again. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of hit me again when I got passed up by an elderly person. And I said, well, I don't know what they're doing. They must have been running all their life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But then when you look at back at your time and you realize you you finish in the last 10% of your age group or uh, or you finish the last uh, 10% of your gender, you realize, like, man, all the, the older people pass you up. All the younger people pass you up. <laughs> so it kind of humbles you once you realize to uh, be respectful of the distance and just be prepared. And that's something I had to really realize. And uh think back on that people truly prepare for this that's true any last minute words of advice for my listeners Uh, just always remember you gotta have a reason as to why you started because if you don't know why you started then you won't have a reason to finish well thanks again for joining me today that wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, 
please email runitisuperhairtherapy, O-L-D, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's runitisuperhairtherapy, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. O-U-I Life, O-U-I Love. Thank you and please tune in again.